This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Don't give up, sweetie. Don't give up. You know, I get it. Your kid is struggling. You are struggling. Things are chaotic in your home. Nothing's going the way you you imagined. It's not the fairy tale you imagined, but you are doing the hardest job on earth. There is nothing harder than being a second mom. There is nothing harder. It will sanctify you. It will pull you closer to Jesus than anything else you can do. You will need him more than you could have ever imagined. But he's there. He's there. He created the concept of adoption. He put it in his story and he has not forgotten you. He sees you. From Christianity Today, you're listening to Adopting Hope, a podcast about adoptive, foster, and spiritual mothering. I'm Joyce Koo Dowerbull. And I'm Sasha Parker. We're both moms, and we're both adoptive moms. And on each episode of our show, you'll hear from a mom and sometimes a dad about their journey in adoption and foster care. Our hope is that this podcast provides hope and encouragement as you hear these stories. Whether you're an adoptive, foster, or spiritual mother yourself, an adoptee, or someone who just wants to encourage and love adoptive and foster parents. These stories are all windows into the gospel, the story of a God who adopts us and loves us with a redeeming love, and whose love empowers and compels us to extend that love through the unique joys and challenges that come from adoption and foster care. Thanks for tuning in. We pray this encourages you as you listen. Jody Jackson Tucker and her husband Jerry have nine beautiful children. They have experienced international adoption, foster care, and domestic adoption. Jody is the International Director of Orphan Sunday at the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Recently, she wrote a wonderful Bible study for adoptive and foster moms called Second Mother. She has also written a book with her daughter Agnes called Fasten Your Sweetbelt, 10 Things You Need to Know About Older Child Adoption. Jody's leadership in this field is undeniable and her heart for the vulnerable is contagious. Thank you so much, Jody, for being with us. I have read a little bit about you and how you were going about your ordinary life, and then God opened your eyes to the global orphan crisis, and it just forever changed you. So I wonder if you could tell us about how that happened. Joyce, that's an amazing story. God put us in a church that was serving the orphan, but I didn't know anything about orphans before that time. Um, I probably couldn't have spelled orphan before that time. Even though I had one adopted daughter that was sort of a infant birth mom adoption out of my own infertility, and I wasn't really aware of the global orphan crisis till around 2007. And I started reading about what was going on in Africa with the AIDS pandemic 
And I was just so heartbroken over that. And through our church, we had an opportunity to go to Uganda. And it's the kind of story, I think we all have one, where it's not like the months and weeks, but there's always like that one moment that you can't get over. It's that one moment in the big story that God just changed your heart. And I met these these three hungry children on a dirt road, and I had nothing to give them. And from that interaction, I just got back in the car and I was really never the same. And I just sort of, I ended up coming back and quitting my job and, you know, the rest is history as they say. So here I am. And it's been such a blessed journey. I'm so grateful. And I think about those kids sometimes. I have a picture of them in my house and um maybe someday here in heaven I'll find them Mm, so So that's pretty radical you came home and you quit your job did you have ideas brewing and ideas of what you could enter into or I just sat up late one night bawling my eyes out to my husband saying Mm. I can't do my job anymore I have to figure out what I can do to help these orphans no one's no one's helping them and he said so quit your job. And I said, really? Mm. (laughs) I had no plan. I don't necessarily recommend that. (laughs) God was working on my husband's heart as well. And so he ended up quitting his job within the next year also. So we were both corporate executives. We both quit our jobs and God just really did a revolution in both of us. Uh, I'd like to think we're much better people and much better followers of Christ now than then. He he just, he completely transformed us and we changed how we wanted to live and who we wanted to live for. But I didn't have a plan. And for six months, I just stayed home crying and reading and studying. And I took down all the pictures in my dining room and I covered my dining room walls with articles and statistics about the orphan crisis. I was really kind of a crazy person. (laughs) And my dining room became this sort of orphan war room. And then I cashed in all my points and went to a Christian Alliance for Orphans conference. That's how I found CAFO and eventually was blessed enough to start working with them. I know that you're the global director of one of CAFO's projects, Orphan Sunday and Stand Sunday. So you eventually, I mean, I I know that there's probably several steps before we get to that point. So how did, did you feel like there was a call to, to work in this field? But then how did you also have this call kind of in your family to go back to Uganda to adopt? What happened first? In retrospect, I guess it was all happening around the same time. I was planning to go back to Uganda to visit an orphanage that was doing adoption. And actually, while I was packing up to leave, my boss, Jed Medifin, who's now the president of Christian Alliance for Orphans, he called me and he said, you know, I met you at the conference and we have some projects we need some help with. And you said you were willing to volunteer. And I said, you know, I really can't do anything till I get back from Uganda. So it was sort of all coming together at the same time. My daughter and I went to Uganda. I ended up meeting the four children we ended up adopting from mm-hmm. there, a brother and sister, and then their first cousins, another brother and sister. Did you adopt all four at the same time? Well, what happened was, <laughs> like my kids say, 
So what happened was I told the orphanage director that we would adopt two. My husband and I had prayed about it, and we felt like if we're going to bring children from another culture into our family, there should be two. So we said, we'll take two, you know, we'll take two siblings. Well, then she said, she literally sent me an email that said, I have spotted them. There are three. That was the whole email. And I'm trying to be polite. You know, Ugandans are very... um, they're very reserved in their communication. You have to build trust with them. And so they never like mm-hmm. sit down and tell you everything all at once. Like it comes out in little bits. So of course I'm writing her back. Hmm. There are three, three is more than two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we adopted those three and then it's really an amazing story. But one you've heard before over time, the oldest of those three was not settling into our family. She was really struggling. Mm. But she was 14, and, you know, I I was like, is this hormones? Is this 14? Is this trauma? What is this? And we took her to a counselor, and he said, all she tells me is that she wants a phone and a puppy. And I said, I'm not getting her either of those, so we're out. So <laughs> I have enough going on right now. Mm-hmm. She came to us one day, and she confessed to us that she was actually the cousin of the other two kids, not their sister. Oh. And that she had a lost brother back in Uganda. And every night uh, in her bed, she would cry for him. She didn't know if he was alive or dead or if mm. she'd ever see him again. And she just couldn't accept the blessing of her adoption, knowing wow. not knowing his fate. So my husband and I looked at each other that day on the porch, and he just kind of rolled his eyes and was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, he knew where this was going. Yeah. It took us three years, but we were able to find that boy through truly supernatural intervention because of all the legal barriers. He was adopted right before he turned 16 when it would wow. have been possible. So. Wow. So how long have your children been home? So my first adoption was in 1995. Mm -hmm. So that was a long time ago. And then the three came in 2010. And then the last son, who was 15, he came in 2013. So. It's been a it's been a long and um, Mm. amazing journey. Everyone's almost a grown up now, which is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. So you entered into older child adoption and doing it multiple times at this <laughs> for uh, well almost for it around the same time. What was that like bringing home teenage children or Sasha? I had no Mm. clue what I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. You know, it sounds funny to say, and maybe I missed it, but even back then in 2010, there was not the education about Mm. the kids, about trauma, about the impact of trauma. I mean, you know, I really didn't know anything. I thought these kids needed shoes and spaghetti, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't really understand the deeper issues that adopted children go through. You know, I've educated myself along the way, but I know so much more now than I did then. Mm -hmm. Could I, you know, there's many things I would do differently if I had to do them over. I would have received the children as much younger than their chronological age because I didn't understand how much their development and their attachment had been impacted. Mm-hmm. And how old were they when they, the, they the were, three? Yeah, yeah, they were 7, 12, and 14. 
So, you know, the first little book I wrote is really, um, I wrote it like within the first year the kids were home. And basically I wrote down all my mistakes because I was mm. like, if I'm making this many mistakes. There must be other moms out there making these same mistakes. Mm. And so I just wrote down my mistakes. And then I asked my daughter Agnes to tell her story at the time. And this was before even she told us about her brother. And so we published that little book just to begin to understand some of the struggles that older children and even younger children go through. I mean, now, of course, we see many adoptive families who adopt children, even in infancy, that have struggles. Mm -hmm. And my own daughter, who was adopted in infancy, she's had a, a long journey with identity and finding birth family and just a mm -hmm. lot of, you know, a lot of things uh, to work through. So... It looks very different now than when I did it, but I, I, of course, I have no no regrets whatsoever. The only regrets are how I wish I'd known more at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you put this book together for others in your same position, um, and how your daughter's perspective is part of that book. And the title of that book is, is it the one that's fast in your sweet yes. belt? Yes. Yeah. I love that title. You know how like when your kids are toddlers, they say all these cute things and you don't correct them because mm -hmm. it's so cute. You want them to keep saying it. Mm -hmm. I was the same way with the older kids. There were little things that they would say and I just hated to correct them because they were learning mm -hmm. English. So he used to call it his sweet belt. So oh, um, that's, so that's perfect. It, Fasten your sweet belt. 10 things mm. you need to know about older child adoption. Mm. I know there's a lot in that book, but if you were to, to share with our listeners who might be considering adopting an, an older child to kind of, you know, what things they need to think about, because there are certain challenges, there are certain yes. similarities, right, and just adoption overall, but there are certain unique challenges about adopting an older child. And when they come home, the attachment is different, the, the adjustment is different. And so what would you share with our listeners, what things to consider and yeah. um, how to prepare for that? I guess the way I could summarize those 10 things for a mom who's listening is assume nothing. Don't assume your children understand or have experienced anything because no matter their situation, an orphanage, a foster care situation, there's so many gaps in their development, their attachment, what they've experienced from a parent, their education. Someone explained to me one time, kids in foster care, their, their learning is like Swiss cheese. You know, they're in and out of school. With my children, there were just so many small things that I had done with my children that I had from babies that I didn't understand. Here's one, and uh, my sons will never probably listen to this podcast, so hopefully they won't kill me for sharing this, but they, had, they were never read to as a child. Mm. And talking with my 15 or 16-year-old son one day, and I said something about Dr. Seuss, and he's like, what kind of a doctor is that? And I thought, oh my goodness, you can't live without Dr. Seuss, son. You have to have Dr. Seuss. And I literally would go in the boys' room at night, and this 10-year-old and 16-year-old kid, boys, would sit there and let me read them Dr. Seuss. They mm. loved it, you know, because that was never something they experienced, mm. having a mom read to them. And, you know, everybody needs to know, you know, who thing one and thing two are. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Mm. Just a million things like that that I had to realize they hadn't experienced. And those things live in the heart of a mm. child. The reason those things are iconic, birthday parties, 
being read to, even even physical affection. Um, you know, there's a story I tell in the book about my 12 year old daughter squeezing herself into these Tinkerbell pajamas and wanting mm. to wear them night and day till I thought I'd have to burn them. But, you know, she never had little jammies like that when she was small, right? She didn't even have undergarments, you know, she had an orphanage uniform. And so even though she was 12, something sparkly and pretty like Mm. that was so attractive to her. So no matter what age a child is, and even us as adults, if we haven't experienced those those beautiful milestones of childhood, those desires will still remain in our hearts and in our souls. And we really need to, no matter what way age we are, mm. we still have those desires. Just like you see these marvelous news stories now of even adults who are being adopted, right? Mm. Because you never give up that desire for parents. You never mm. you never get out of that. Never. Mm. You see people 50, 60 years old grieving the the loss of their parents because you Mm -hmm. never give up that desire. Mm. You know, I think it's so wise that you... um Or like, this is inappropriate for your age. I'm not going to go and read Dr. You know, like, it was almost like you welcomed, you recognized that that was something, a stage that they missed. And you went Mm. back um, to give them something that they missed. Mm -hmm. And how sometimes that's so important for our um, children in terms of their development to even go back to an earlier stage. Um, And it's almost sweet. I mean, how you shared that story. Mm -hmm. I just... Remember, um, we adopted our little girl from China when she was almost four. And when we give her baths, we would just swaddle her like a little baby after the bath. And that was her favorite time. And I just rock her. Um, And she just, she wanted that from us. And it was just like going back to this baby stage. Um, But it helped us bond. Exactly. Um, Exactly. I have a friend. She's a really funny friend. She adopted a little boy from an, an orphanage in Ukraine. And he had all these issues around food and she wanted to attach to him. And the only thing he liked was McDonald's French fries. And let me tell you, this this friend is a health food nut. She actually <laughs> like sells like health food. And she would wait till the other kids left for school in the morning. And she would go to the drive-thru and get the McDonald's fries mm. and pull them and say, son, would you like a fry? So he had to crawl up in her mm. lap and take the fry. <laughs> mm. And, you know, it sounds silly. He was probably seven or eight years old. But, you know, these sweet little things are the things that make that um, mother-child or father-child connection. And they're mm-hmm. precious. They're precious. Yeah. And what a beautiful gift to give your daughter, Agnes, a voice in writing this book together. That's such a beautiful picture. What are some words that Agnes shared that we need to hear? Well, Agnes is amazing and she's always wanted to share her story and she Mm -hmm. started her own ministry now. She Mm. blogs, she writes, but one of the things she said that really broke my heart very early on in our journey and spurred me to work in this area is theirs was a Christian orphanage and she said, mom, I used to look up at the stars at night. I used to leave the dormitory and go lay out in a field and look up at the stars. And I would think, 
you are telling us that God loves me and that I am his child and I am his princess. Why does no one come for me? Hmm. And, you know, you hear the emotion in my voice even today uh, saying that and hearing her say it. I thought, gosh, we as the body of Christ, we have to do better. Mm-hmm. We can't just teach this stuff. We have to mm-hmm. teach. We have to do it. She has inspired me in so many ways. She's an extraordinary woman. She's getting her master's in business administration. Wow. In international business. She studied healthcare. She's she's going back to Uganda to do some ministry in November. She's She's quite an amazing woman, but she's embraced her redemption and she's embraced mm-hmm. her adoption story, which not all, you know, not all kids do. It's hard journey, but she has really, she received the love of God and she received her new family and she has just, she's just been uh, a joy, a real joy to mm-hmm. parents. She's, she, mm-hmm. she's my inspiration. Would she mind sharing you sharing about her ministry? You said she started a ministry. Of course. She based it on the Jeremiah scripture for I know the plans, the plans I have for you. And she's got that stenciled over her bed in her room. And Mm. so I can send you the link for her ministry. Mm -hmm. But every time she goes back to Uganda, she goes almost every year. She goes back and speaks in orphanages, ministers in orphanages, and really just giving the kids hope. Don't give up hope. Your story can change. Things can be different for you. What she's been able to do and just preaching the love of God to them and that they're only orphans on paper, but they're not orphans in the kingdom. And wow. so she brings a lot of donations and we've done uh, medical missions and clothing, but uh, really just them seeing her and seeing what's possible that they can't see in the natural in their lives right there uh, has been very, um, very meaningful. That's powerful. I think just having someone who's been in your position who can right. speak like show you a different way in demonstrating God's love and redemption. Um, Yeah, we would love to share that link. We can put that in our show notes too later for our listeners. But you've started, she takes after her mom because you've started different ministries and one of them, Pharaoh's Daughter. I was reading a little bit about that in your um, book, uh, Second Mothers. And I want to talk about the book too, but can you first tell us about Pharaoh's Daughter? And how, what that is? I'm obsessed with Pharaoh's daughter, and she's one of the first people I want to meet when I get to heaven. I'm going to be, mm. I'm going to go through the pearly gates and start asking <laughs> everybody where she is. Um, this woman is so extraordinary, and she was pointed out to me by actually a Ugandan woman who used the story of Pharaoh's daughter, the analogy she made was that women in her country were floating their children in the river of orphanages, praying that women of privilege would be like Pharaoh's daughter and take them out from the other side. And when she spoke those words to me, I was just speechless. Mm. And I, I had never thought about Pharaoh's daughter, and I went back into... Exodus and started reading about her, reading the story, reading about Jacobed, 
who is Moses's birth mother. I mean, the whole story is absolutely unbelievable. And when you think about the character of Moses, one of the most significant people, perhaps the most significant person in the Old Testament, maybe, you know, we could argue, you know, who else? Abraham, David, but Moses. And Moses is in every faith. He's recognized in the Jewish faith. He's recognized in the Muslim faith. Moses is a huge historical character. When you pause and reflect on the fact that he was adopted, why would God put that into the story? There had to be something he was trying to teach us. And when you think of what Pharaoh's daughter did, given the times, her courage, what she did, how she acted, how she reconnected with his birth mother, even how she found a way to do that, to honor the birth mother by by having her brought to nurse Moses. At different parts in the Bible, you can see how Moses was taught and he was taught languages. And we know he had some sort of speech difficulty, how he overcame that. And, you know, he went on to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. And here's his adoptive mom, who, who we don't even name, right? There's so many incredible women in scripture. I want to write a book called Unnamed Women in Scripture. Mm. Maybe somebody already wrote that. (laughs) But if you think about, you know, the woman at the well and the woman who touched Jesus's garment and his daughter, these women, we don't even know their names, but look at how they changed history. Mm. So years ago, I just wanted to help moms, birth moms, adoptive moms. And so we began this small ministry Uh, for women trying to get upstream, uh, so to speak, before kids Mm -hmm. go in the river and helping Mm -hmm. prevent children from becoming orphans, supporting Mm -hmm. industries where you have widows who are making handicrafts or that sort of thing. We have a marketplace on there where you can shop to support women who are trying to hold their family together, intervening with kids who are, quote, in the river in whatever way we can. We've done some medical ministry with helping kids get, uh, helping Mm. children get visas here to the U.S., which has been amazing to do. Orphan children who would otherwise have no access to medical care. And then most recently, our ministry has evolved to really supporting foster and adoptive moms because as time has gone on, Women did hear the message, and men as well. We do have a lot of adoptive families. We have a lot of foster families. The church did rise to receive these children, and now we need to come alongside these families and support them. And my heart is just really for the moms, of course, because I'm a mom, and I see what the journey is like. And so we've really, in the last two years, been pressing into supporting um, women who are fostering or adopting. So mm-hmm. we have a board of incredible women, Anita Dynaka, who's just, you know, just one of the um, great founders of this movement. So we, and many, many others that are incredible. So wow. that kind of brings us to the book that you wrote, because that's written for moms mm-hmm. who are doing the really hard mm-hmm. thing. And you call it second mother a Bible study experience for foster and adoptive mothers. And that term, second mother, I had not heard that before, but I really like it because it honors the first mother. Uh, And so how did you come up with that title? I love the fact that it's a Bible study. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Pharaoh's daughter, but there are a lot of other stories in the Bible about fostering and adopting. Yes, that's what happened. So 
In 2017, I went back to school and I'm in seminary. I hope to finish in 2021. I, uh, I'm a part-time seminarian. And when I started back at the beginning of the Bible, of course, I had focused on Pharaoh's daughter. But when I started going back through the Bible deep, really deep in the way a seminarian would have to and reading the commentaries, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe over and over again, the stories of foster care and adoption in the Bible. And I had read the Bible cover to cover mm. in the past in my walk with God, and I hadn't seen it the way I was seeing it now. And so I started writing the stories down. Really, I never intended, I never set out, I'm going to write a Bible study, but I just started journaling and, journaling and reflecting on these stories. Hannah and Samuel and um, the way Ruth cleaved herself into her new family and all the things that did in history. Even Joseph being the adopted dad of Jesus in that society. And I end the book with Jesus's final act on the cross, which was giving John to his mother and his mother to John. And really, mm. uh, you know, we talk about Jesus on the cross. We talk about he forgave the thieves, how he forgave all of us, how he took our sin upon himself. But from the cross, he did an adoption. Mm. And if you study the language, it's not about the house or where people are going to live. He literally says, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Mm. He did an adoption from the cross as his mm. final act. Wow. We're never too old to need mm. that family, right? Yeah. John mm. was losing, you know, the one Jesus loved most, as he called himself, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. Mary was losing her son. And in his final moments, he did an adoption for, for the cross. So when I saw mm. that, I just had to write these stories mm. down. And I started having women over my house to talk about them. Next thing I knew, it turned into a Bible study. It makes me laugh even to think that I would write a Bible study. I think of people who do that as, you know, having lots of PhDs and, and all of that. And a lot of people encouraged me to do it so I would uh, finish. It was beautiful. And when I got it all done, I just prayed and asked God. I said, what, you know, Lord, what is, what is this called? Hmm. And it was actually in prayer that I heard Second Mother. Oh, so I take no credit for it. <laughs> mm. And uh, I'm not sure I could have thought of it myself, but I immediately loved it because I want to honor both foster and adoptive moms. Yes. And I do want to honor birth moms. And mm -hmm. I am the second mother of every one of my adopted children. And that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. okay. And, mm -hmm. and we have to make it okay. So I, I said it to a couple people and they were like, wow. And now it's funny because I've seen it around on Facebook, people using the term, not in reference to my book, but just like, you know, how things kind of, you know, catch on. So yes, I guess yes. that was God's intention to sort of put that out there. So hallelujah for that. And you mentioned in your introduction of your Bible study, just how this was all birthed during a season of deep brokenness within your family. And can you touch on that? You don't have to give us all the details, but just I think often beautiful things are birthed from these very, very broken places. And we're able to connect with people and their brokenness. It's this community of brokenness. So yeah, can you share a little bit about that? Yes. 
Like many adoptive families, we, we've been through some deep struggles and, uh, you know, in particular with one child at that time. And, and then, you know, it's sort of like, it seems like this is how God does this. And Sasha, you and I talked about this Mm -hmm. a little bit, but it's like, it seems like it's like a perfect storm sometimes, a perfect storm. You know, one one thing mm-hmm. happens and then the next thing happens and then the next thing happens. And literally, it seems like you can sometimes reach this place where it just feels like everything is crashing down. And it was in the middle of all of that that God started revealing um, these stories to me. And I truly was. I was broken. I was brokenhearted. My spirit was broken. I felt like a failure as a mother. I felt like our family was just sort of coming apart. And I didn't know how to help my child. And I couldn't find people who seemed to know how to help my child. And just a very, very dark time. And somehow God does these things out of brokenness. And even that's a lesson, right? Because all of our kids went through some sort of terrible loss and have to find, you know, hang on, find that ribbon of hope and slowly Mm. pull it and climb up it to get back to a place of redemption. And so that's kind of what happened. I cried a lot of tears over the, you know, notebook where I was writing down these stories. But I thought, look at these women in the Bible, look at their circumstance, look at their stories. If you start reflecting on their stories, they were hard. They were hard and they were long. Things did not get fixed. There were there were plagues. There was starvation. There was decades of waiting. And so it just encouraged me. It got me through because I thought, well, Lord, if you put all this adoption in there, it's in your story. So it's in my story. So I'm living a biblical story and Whatever's going on with us right now, I see it in these stories Mm -hmm. also. And I just clung to that. Mm -hmm. And by his grace, little by little, came through it. And Mm -hmm. things are better now. They're far from perfect. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I've sort of let go of perfect. I... I certainly fell into that trap of wanting to have the, you know, the perfect Christmas card family. Mm -hmm. And... I think that was an an idol for me. And Mm. when you're putting together all these different um, people and personalities and stories, you know, we're we're not meant to be perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of my dearest friends who's a pastor outside his church, they have a big banner that says an imperfect church full of imperfect people. And, you know, that's where I need to go. So God's just really been faithful. He's brought us through a lot. I'm still praying over, you know, many things related to my children, but I, I see the glory and I have the faith for it. Right. Mm, I have the faith for it. So, and I I think these stories are long. You know, what when we're in the middle of chapter two, it's still not the it's not the end of the story. Exactly. God is still writing it. He's not yes. done, and and so we don't have that pers- that perspective sometimes of you know until we look back. But in the middle of the story, we I think knowing that God's promises that He yes. um, will complete the good work that he started in us and that he is faithful. It's not because of our parenting skills or, 
you know, whether we're perfect or not perfect in that, um, it's about his faithfulness to to complete the good work. And that gives us hope, like even just a tiny ribbon exactly. in that in the middle of the story. And sometimes yeah. the stories are generations long. It might not even be about my generation. Mm-hmm. It might mm-hmm. be about my grandchild or my adopted child's child or you know mm. always doing something bigger mm. right yeah we see yeah. across the arc of scripture there's always something bigger going on mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. when i started studying the moabites and ruth i thought how mm. in the world did this get in the line of jesus like okay, <laughs> right like, right always doing something bigger yes so, yes um, it, yes that's what we have to in those really hard days when we just feel like this is not working, I can't go on one more day. I just have to breathe and, you know, cling to scripture, cling to the story of God's redemption and believe for it. And with your Bible study, your goal is for women to gather together and to kind of form community. And I think that's really powerful because we do need each other in this journey. Um, Really powerful. We cannot do it alone. That is the one thing I would say to anyone listening. If you take one thing away from this podcast, do not try to do this alone. Early in my journey, there was one woman, one friend in my church. I I know she said a reminder in her phone. She's a businesswoman. And she would call me every week and say, how's it going? She was an adoptive mom, two kids from Haiti. And she always called me. Sometimes I didn't answer. Sometimes I did. She faithfully called me the entire first year. No agenda, you know, not to give advice, just to be there for me. And I I don't know what I would have done without her that first year. It was chaos. It was madness. I mean, my kids didn't know how to, you know, uh, turn on anything in the house. They didn't speak the language. They, you know, it was crazy, crazy. And I had other children at home and, and I did have a dog and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, so we need each other so desperately. I got a Facebook message the other day. This lady had started a, uh, she sent out a Facebook message saying, does anybody want to do this second mother Bible study with me? And somebody tagged me. So I wrote her back and I said, uh, you know, I'm so blessed that you're doing this. We don't know each other, but, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying, hi, I'm so blessed you're doing this. And she said, oh my gosh, she said, I'm going through such a hard time. And I was literally alone in my bed under the covers reading your book. And it literally says, don't read this book alone in your bed. (laughs) And she said, I felt like you were seeing me. And so I got up out of bed and I sent out that Facebook message because that's what we do. You know, we retreat and we get in our bed or we lock. I used to lock myself in the closet, literally, you know, kids banging on the door. We get by ourselves when we feel like uh, it's too much. And we've got to do this with others. We've got to. And even if we don't know other people who've adopted or are close to other people, mm-hmm. like I love how that woman just sent out a Facebook post, yes. you know, to reach out and then seeing what happens from it. And then you reach back out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's what we need to do as women is reach out um, for help mm-hmm. and then reach out to those because we've all needed help. Reach out to those yes. who need help, like mm-hmm. both ways yes. to help one another, because that's really how we're going to get through And through whatever this. you're going through, another mom has gone through. There's no mm-hmm. shame, you know? Right. That's right. I I was connected to this woman who is a dentist who's far outside the adoption community. She ended up adopting three kids from foster care and 
you know, it was really hard and somebody asked me to reach out to her and I did. And, and, uh, she's like, well, you know, my kids are doing all these things and, you know, I'm embarrassed to even tell you. And I'm like, well, let me guess, are they doing this and this and this and this? She's like, how do you know that? Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, well, I don't know anything about teeth, but mm. I bet I could tell you a few things about yeah. what's going on here. Mm. You're also involved, we're shifting gears a little bit here, but we'd love to hear about your involvement with Orphan Sunday and Stand Sunday. Could you share about that? Thank you for letting me share about that. That is the project that I get to coordinate through my job for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And, you know, when God really laid it on my heart to do something to get the church to rise for these kids, I had no idea what that something would be. But in Zambia in 2002, a pastor was crying out to God, asking him what he could do for his congregation, because over half the congregation had died of HIV AIDS. Mm. If you can imagine, there were 100 people in the congregation, there were like 50 left. Imagine having to get up on Sunday morning and preach. And he felt the Lord encourage him to turn their suffering away from themselves and to bless the orphans in the congregation. And that's how Orphan Sunday began in the most hard-pressed place, dirt church in a little village called Kalingalinga. I've been there since, which was amazing. I went back to that place, sat on the floor and just thank God for it. And so that idea uh, took hold. And then in 2009, Christian Lions for Orphans started shepherding it. And then along the way, we learned that a similar experience happened in uh, Texas. A pastor asked his congregation, who will stand with me for children in foster care? Mm. In both stories, when in the Orphan Sunday story in Africa and in the Texas story, the pastor makes his plea and an old widow stands up Mm. for the church and says, me, I'll go first. It was the widow's might both times. In Africa and Zambia, the old widow came forward and she said, this is my last cabbage, but I will give it for the orphans. She gave her last food. Wow. And in Texas, the pastor meant it metaphorically. Who will stand with children in foster care? And God bless her, this lady, she popped up out of her seat. And then everybody in the congregation started standing. And he was like, oh, okay. (laughs) He didn't expect that. Yes. But guess what, you guys? Hmm. Here is our God. These two events happen same year, same month. Wow. We're not Mm. sure if it was the exact same Sunday, but we know it was same year, same month. Mm. The Holy Spirit was speaking to bring this idea to churches. And I am so humbled that I've had a front row seat for the Mm. last 10, 11 years. We've just been bringing this message to churches, Stand Sunday for Kids in Foster Care, Orphan Sunday uh, for Orphan Children, that it's us the church that is the mm-hmm. solution mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if we're the body of christ there should be no waiting child no mm-hmm. waiting child so so how can we bring this to our churches what resources do you have to help us spread orphan sunday to our local church and stand sunday to our local church we have tried to think of almost everything you might need so if you go to orphansunday.org 
There is a digital toolkit you can download. We have posters. We have flyers. We have videos. We have children's church activities. We have youth group activities, activities you can do in your home. We have fully written sermons. If your pastor says, I've never written a sermon on orphan care. We got that written by great theologians. Uh, book studies, Bible studies. We have just collected as many mm. resources as we could over the years. It's all free. It's open source. Anyone can take it, download it, use it. Orphan Sunday and Stand Sunday belong to the Lord. Christian Alliance for Orphans just provides the resources. So it's all freely available. And this year's theme is Be the Light. And we're excited about that. Of course, this is a dark time around the world with the pandemic. And so we are just asking the body of Christ this year to be the light for a waiting child. And there's so many ways that people can do that. Something as powerful as prayer and just choosing one child in your community to pray for. Every state has a list of waiting children, and we have something called the One Child Campaign, where you can choose one child and just pray for that child. To, you know, activities your church can do, activities your small group can do, but we're asking everyone this year to be the light, and people have really loved that theme, and Around the world, in many cultures, people are using this theme where we have a video themed around that that's already in dozens of nations. It's been translated. We have a global website where you can light up your address on the map. You can check in that you'll be praying that day or helping or participating in some way or that week or any time that month. And you can help light up the map and just remember these kids at this time. That's beautiful. I'm going to check out that map and just see how we can light it up. Yes. Um, Well, last thing we want to ask is just to share a message of hope. And I think you having shared so vulnerably about a, a real time of brokenness in your own life, what would you, how would you summarize or share to someone who's in the, who's still in the middle of the story and not seeing the way out? Yes. I would just say, don't give up, sweetie. Don't give Mm. up. You know, I get it. Your kid is struggling. You are struggling. Things are chaotic in your home. Nothing's going the way you imagined. It's not the fairy tale you imagined. But you are doing the hardest job on earth. There is nothing harder than being a second mom. There is nothing harder. It will sanctify you. It will pull you closer to Jesus than anything mm-hmm. else you can do. You will need him more than you could have ever imagined. But he's there. He's there. He created the concept of adoption. He put it in his story, and he has not forgotten you. He sees you. He sees you right there, right now, crying in your bed, locked in your closet, sitting in the Target parking lot in your car washing those dishes, whatever it is you're doing right now, he sees you and you are part of his great story. And he's going to write a beautiful story of redemption with your life and with your kid's life. So do not give up. Thank you. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. That is what we needed to hear. Your life is so inspiring and encouraging, Jody. Just all that you have done and all that you continue to do. And just those words, don't give up, sweetie. It just like put like a lump in my throat. We need to hear those words. And thank you for all that you are doing and continue to do. 
Thank you so much. We've got the power of the resurrection living within. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment and help us spread the word. Share about it on social media or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Adopting Hope is a production of Christianity Today. It was produced by Mike Cosper, Joyce Dalrymple, and Sasha Parker. It was edited and mixed by Alex Carter. Our theme song, We've Got This Hope, was by Ellie Holcomb. We'll be back next week with another story. Thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.